It's a new day and time for another NCEA podcast. As Catholic school educators, it's part of our mission to invite young people to a relationship with Jesus, introduce them into the life of the church, and help them see the role of faith in their everyday life. It is a typical winter here at NCEA preparing for the annual convention as we collaborate with Catholic educators throughout the country to speak at NCEA 2023 with our mission in the forefront. It's an important responsibility and we know we are better when we do it together in community. Today is no exception. Join me on a virtual tour to the Great Lakes region of our country as we visit Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm Laura MacDonald and this is NCEA Podcast Convention Edition. Joining us today are Sister John Dominic and Karen Villa, Dr. Karen Villa. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Welcome and thank you for being here today. Hello from across the lake. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) On a cold wintry day. We got lots of snow here yesterday and today it's really, um, it's really confusing because the sun is shining and it's colder than yesterday. So I don't know about you guys. Let's see what you had is coming our is is here. So. <laughs> I sent it your way. Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. <laughs> Sister, you are no stranger to NCEA. Your work on Disciples of Christ, Education and Virtue inspires so many of our schools, our campuses. Um, For our new listeners, though, please share a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. Thank you also for just that introduction and everything. Um, So I am a Dominican sister of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. Um, Our mother house is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And um, joyfully, I've been involved in Catholic education now for well over 30 years, Um, 20 years of of that or more. I mean, 20 years was in administration, and then the rest was in teaching. So I guess maybe it's hidden 35 years. I don't know. You just have, you know, when you wow. get, you kind of stop counting at some point, right? <laughs> and then, um, really, what I've been so blessed that my community has asked me to really just be involved in creating resources, in particular, um, as it goes with virtue education, that we can kind of bring that part of our Dominican charism. Uh, to Catholic education and just to really raise up a, a culture of young people that know what virtue is and most importantly, um, love living it, you know, because it's, it's a path to human flourishing. Well, we're glad they gave you that responsibility because it fills us all up. So well, thank, thank you for you. Thank you. And something that our members may just be finding out is that you are our closing keynote at NCEA 2023 for convention. Yep. Yes, thank you. I pre- I'm very humbled, actually very humbled with that invitation. And um, I'm just very grateful to be a part of all the wonderful work you all are doing to to strengthen um, our, our already great Catholic schools. You know, we're just always working towards continuous improvement. But I think that's what those of us in education do. We always think, oh, yeah, this could be better, you know. <laughs> right, right. Well, congratulations. We're excited for this. Karen, you're a clinical neuropsychologist. Please share a little more about your background and what led you to Sister and her work. I'd be happy to, and thank you for having us. Um, I'm a trained clinical neuropsychologist. I got my PhD in the decade of the brain, um, which was the 1990s to the 2000s, 
when a lot of the science that sister and I will be talking about emerged from that time period. And now it's just kind of entering um, education through this mind-brain education that has evolved. Uh, so I did a lot of my work in rehabilitation and in medical settings early on. But when I went into my private practice some 25 years ago, um, I switched over to the neurodevelopmental side of things because I was working a lot with children and families around learning characteristics and ADHD and behavioral problems. Uh, and I was raising my children at the same time. And I found myself at Sister's Little School in Ann Arbor, where she was the principal. <laughs> and I was looking for an environment that um, fostered a lot of the characteristics that we're going to be talking about today. And Sister and I um, got to know each other at the same time she was beginning to do her virtue work. And it has such a nice um, consistency with this interpersonal neurobiology that she and I kind of became partners in carrying this message into virtue education and Catholic schools. Well, thank you for your work. So I met with the two of you a couple weeks ago and I was so enthused about our conversation. Um, next thing you know, I was on a plane later that evening and I was reading your article that you, you gave me about neuroplasticity and I'm drawing a diagram of this article on a Southwest napkin. And then this is not an endorsement <laughs> for Southwest. Um, but I was trying to illustrate these correlations that you were talking about on my napkin with the virtue and social emotional learning. Um, but it made me really hopeful once I understood um, for our classroom teachers who are taking on so many different things. And in a time when we can see interconnectedness of concepts of teaching, when we see that, we can work it together. Um, it makes our jobs as educators, I don't want to say easier, but calmer. Mm -hmm. And it, it's like finding that missing puzzle piece. So. Let's start here. Um, Catholic schools all over the country are now explicitly teaching and establishing cultures of virtue on the school sites. But the, the recent article that this I was reading by the two of you brings in that neurobiology. And you quote, experience is the architect of the mind. Can, and, and you discuss neuroplasticity. Let's catch our listeners up. Can you explain? Dr. Villa, I'll let you go with that. Yes. Yeah, I'll take that one. <laughs> so what we discovered in the decade of the brain, that the brain is wiring and rewiring itself across the lifespan. And it's wiring itself in the context of attachment and relationships. But this capacity for neuroplasticity is greatest in childhood. I would say from zero to 25. Um, so the frontal cortex which is the last to wire itself, is wired about the mid-20s. And so it really behooves us to get very intentional about uh, how we're wiring children for mental health and for good and for virtue. Um, and that's really um, what we're bringing into Catholic education, that Sister is trying to create these very intentional daily experiences that wire the idea of virtue um, into their very person so that they're equipped for wholeness and goodness when they arrive to their young adulthood. Very nice. Yeah. So go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to, what I was going to 
pull from that when we talk about um, virtue and a very simple um, definition of virtue that we often offer, I often say is, is this habit of doing good. And, um, you know, when we think about uh, in Catholic education, we think about parents entrusting their children to a Catholic school. What is it? What is it they want? You know, the primary thing is they want their child to be raised in goodness. They want their child to be good. And also, and, and it's normal for any parent, they want others because that child is the most precious person, right? And they Absolutely. want other people to recognize and to see the goodness in their child. And so virtue gives us this beautiful language, um, vocabulary that we have, which is centuries old um, in, our, in our Catholic tradition, but even back to the time of the early philosophers. But it gives us this beautiful language that we can use in describing um, the goodness of one another, of the students, of our peers. And that naturally creates a very positive um, environment, a very positive culture. So if you take the, the example that uh, Dr. Villa just gave about the uh, neuroplasticity is that the that if the if their child is gaining their experience and this culture in this environment, then they are the brain will be wired for goodness. And to, and to me, that's a message that we need to be shouting from the rooftops everywhere um, because we want this. Uh, we don't want them to be fragmented, which is what we're up against. We want this wholeness. And this harmony and this peace is which how God has created each one of them to be, had created each one of us to be. And uh, I think that's just a very strong message that we want to kind of shout out there to people. A, a great message and a great responsibility. Um, yes. So we know what our parents want. We know what our schools want. What are the four qualities that the neurobiologists say that must be taught? Yeah, so this is um, out of the work of Dr. Dan Siegel. He was really the father of interpersonal neurobiology. And again, that's the idea that the brain is wiring itself based on experiences in the context of attachments. Well, he has taken um, all of this neuroscience, and it really has been an interdisciplinary effort. And he's translated these findings into things that teachers and parents can use. And in his Yes Brain book, he talked about these four fundamental qualities that we want to nurture in children in order to raise them up well and um, in a mentally healthy way. So he uses this acronym of BREE, like BREE cheese. Uh, and BREE stands for balance, resilience, insight, and empathy. So balance is the ability to balance one's um, emotions, regulate one's behavior. Resilience is like it sounds, it's this capacity to deal with challenges in kind of an optimistic way, um, handle disappointments by getting back up and trying again. Um, insight is this internal compass that we want students to develop in order to, like an inner um, guidance system to help them with their decision-making, their relationships, help with self-awareness. And then the last one is empathy, which is about taking the perspective of others and um, showing care and concern for those around us. Okay. So for those of you that are on a run right now, are driving in the car, there are articles about this. You you don't have to write this down, correct? No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in this article, 
you drew a correlation between these four qualities and the moral virtues of fortitude, temperance, prudence, and justice. So this is where that not cocktail napkin came in handy. Um, help, help our listeners understand this correlation because this was great. Right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and then Karen can, and can pull it forward. But this is when we both kind of had this aha moment between us, just like you on the airplane <laughs> is because I'm thinking, oh, this, they're describing the, the moral virtues, the, that that's a part of, you know, are this human formation. So we, and we, and so we, we actually have a diagram, which we did, we did a circle diagram to, to show this relationship, this one-to-one uh, correspondence, because if it's, if we're looking at having these qualities uh, for the healthy mind, uh, and then, and then we're looking at the, the virtues, which are this, you know, the mind and body, body, soul, heart, everything. And this is all with, um, you know, as a Dominican, St. Thomas Aquinas really developed this, um, which correlates very beautifully to how um, the neuroscience and personal neurobiology has said it. But um, you can line it up, you know, we would think as, as you said, we, uh, balance would be temperance, mm-hmm. uh, resilience is fortitude, um, insight is prudence, and empathy is justice. And, and what's amazing is that when you look at how you're going to live these out and how you would want, because we talk about virtue as a way of life. Well, I would say that Dr. Dan Siegel, when he's, when he's talking about and he's writing about this in his books, is that this way of living, this way of having this healthy mindset is also a way of life. Mm-hmm. And, and what's beautiful is we see here that, that faith you know, and reason, that science and faith do not contradict, that there's a beautiful harmony between this and knowing this in Catholic education, it, it just um, gives us the greater strength as we try to raise, you know, children, um, as we'll talk about in grace, but also that we understand that we really are made for, for wholeness, for harmony, um, instead of this fragmentation, which we're all struggling with in, in education. And I'm sure uh, Karen probably would want to add something to that from our uh, discussion. Well, the good news for teachers and parents is that this is kind of a map to, um, you know, building mental well-being. And, you know, we're in the midst of such a mental health crisis right now. And I do think it's God's divine providence that he's given us and shared this information and this knowledge and that it matches so beautifully with this ancient wisdom that we've always had in our Catholic faith. I think virtue is a treasure of our Catholic faith, but it's so good to have kind of a vision from beginning to, you know, when we deliver them to young adulthood about what our goals are and what we're trying to do each and every day. And, you know, really the power that a teacher has to influence a child's brain wiring in the moment and over the long run to really impact their um, long-term well-being. It's very exciting stuff. Yes, it is. Um, And as I said before, this connection that you are making is so beneficial for our teachers and our administrators, our parents and partners. Um, Can you share with us how this works in tandem with social emotional learning? Because our schools are being approached with SEL. It's something else that they're looking at. How does this work together? 
I, I'll, I'll jump in and then I know that uh, Karen will be able to offer a very beautiful analogy on this is that I would, I would say too that um, you're right, that, that these two need to, uh, to go hand in hand with one another that uh, what we want to, because again, if, if the SAL is, is supported by the true hard science behind it, and, and it has those strategies which are true to what um, are found, what we know from the neuropsychologists, uh, you know, from that the study for the neurobiology, and even if that's true behind that, then when you bring, when you marry virtue to that, right, it's this beautiful wholeness that can come together. And I would even, I would say in a Catholic school, you, um, I, I mean, you can do the virtue education, but if you have the authentic SEL with the hard science about it, those are gonna be just other tools that can help you do it. But when you talk about and you're understanding the virtues, what virtues look like and sound like, uh, oftentimes we have this understanding of virtue is just this list of words that we have to memorize. <laughs> but what we have from the teachings of St. Thomas Aquinas, there's, there's literally, you know, 20, 30 different virtues. You know, there's courtesy, generosity. And what we did in education of virtue is we showed what these virtues look like and sound like. So those are examples in your everyday living of how to live that out and how to practice that. So I, they, are, they, they do, they go hand in hand. And I think um, Dr. Villa has a really wonderful way of describing um, the, how the, the neuroscience kind of surrounds this. So I'll let you, Karen, say, offer that explanation, which I think is a great way to put it in your head. Yes. Okay. Are you talking about the holding environment? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so social emotional learning came out of the same science um, where you know, we need to teach things to kids like balance and how to have relationship skills and how to have self-awareness. Um, so when um, the Collaborative for Academic and Social-Emotional Learning developed their five core competencies, they're really in alignment with those four um, interpersonal neurobiology fundamentals and with the, uh, the moral, the cardinal virtues. So, um, there is a large consistency between those. Um, but Sister and I are also developing a way to talk about the theological virtues, you know, um, conveying faith, hope, and love to children. And um, Dr. Siegel also wrote this book called The Power of Showing Up. And in that book, he, he kind of tried to be very specific about the attachment qualities that are needed in order to, again, facilitate this yes brain kind of mentality. And those were being safe, seen, soothed, and secure. So um, what, what we mean by that is the relationship that a teacher has with her students is like this container. And it's this holding environment where they're communicating a sense of safety to the children around them and security and this love of being seen by them um, so that they can get to their higher cortical learning. So what the neuroscience is showing in this other concept, this neurosequential model that Sister and I are gonna be talking about at the convention is a way to bring that concept into the classroom 
and that students won't be, you won't have access to their higher cortical learning unless you help them to regulate, that's the soothing part, and unless you help them to feel safe and connected. So uh, we'll be discussing that further at NCEA as a way to understand behavior in the classroom, like what is the stress behind it? And how do you create this surround, this container in which children can grow up in? So it's not just teaching SEL skills, it's not just teaching the words of virtue, it's coming into relationship and a sense of safety in order to improve learning and improve behavior. And we'll be looking forward to that session for sure. Um, where do, where when we look at SEL and, and our virtues and our, our qualities, the four qualities, where do they differ and what do we need to be aware of as Catholic school communities? You want me to take that one on? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yes, that's good. Yes, good. <laughs> yeah, so the five, the CASEL five core competencies for social-emotional learning are self-management, self-awareness, right decision-making, relationship skills, and social skills. So if you put these all next to one another, you can start to see that there's really a one-to-one -one correspondence. So, you know, balance is um, the same thing as self-management. Learning to balance your emotions and behavior leads to better self-management and self-control. Um, resilience is right decision-making plus that self-management. So um, you're teaching both at the same time. And then when we get into things like insight, it's self-awareness and right decision-making. And that's the internal compass piece. You know, how do I make my own decisions and guide my own actions and my own behavior and my relationships and have self-awareness in the middle of that? And of course, our sacramental life, things like, um, you know, reconciliation and confession, they teach things like self-awareness in a pretty regular and right decision-making in a pretty regular way. And then when you get to the empathy piece, that's relationship skills and social skills all mixed together. You know, how do I take the perspective of another person? And if I see them struggling, how do I take action and show care and stay connected to the people around me? And so the and so with in each one of those, um, we have like in this diagram that we have and explaining it, when you look at, at understanding the virtues and you see them as a way of life, um, then that's just kind of bringing to life all of the, the all of these pieces kind of they come together, um, and that virtue again is that is that language that um, that practice that we begin to cultivate within ourselves and respond to God's grace um, towards goodness, you know, and and that innate goodness that we that God has created us to be, and and that it just becomes almost. Um, second nature you know i mean like you know if you take a virtue like courtesy you may have to uh, teach the children again and again you know hold the door open you know help someone carry their books but after a while um that just becomes something that they'll begin to do naturally or remember to say thank you when you go to the cafeteria to get your lunch you know, that may be a practice that you may have to do as a whole class but hopefully as they mature and it becomes a habit that that's, those are just two words that just very naturally flow off 
um, you know, very flaw of their lips as they're speaking and uh, um, to everyone. So it's it's exciting and it's beautiful, again, to see how all of this comes together. There, um, There's a different approach, right? But I'm, I see it all through this lens of we in Catholic education, uh, the worldview that we should have towards SEL and these things that we're doing should be the understanding of virtue. Why? Because, and, and as we said, even the theological virtues, because this is we, our responsibility is to cultivate this grace of baptism is the, the sacramental life of the students, the life of the church. And we're really all, we're really about the saint making business, right? You know, I mean, that sounds kind of funny. It's not like making cookies or whatever, but, <laughs> but I mean, the history of Catholic schools were founded by saints, you know, I mean, St. John Bosco, you know, uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, Francis Cabrini. And, uh, you know, that's what we, we're trying to just lead them all to the household of God. And, so we can harness what we know from this science and not really be afraid of it, but let's harness it for the good, for the good of the children that are there. And, and I would also add just one thing. I would also add um, from an administrator, for me being an administrator and even now as a director and stuff working with people, is that um, I always felt like I had a great responsibility to take care of my faculty and staff you know, mm -hmm. and because the more that they are uh, what Karen and I refer to as the still point of grace, the more that they're in this, they themselves um, have experienced that regulation uh, within themselves, then that's going to have the impact in the classroom and then among one another. And I think Karen can give us an understanding of what we mean by co-regulation here, which is so important in the classroom, if you want to talk about that, Karen. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so again, interpersonal neuro neurobiology really puts the teacher and her relationships with her students at the center of the classroom, at the center of their learning. And what we're going to be talking about with this neurosequential model is that the brain grows in a particular order and it processes information in a particular order. So all information that is being conveyed to children first arrives at this regulation center. It's really at the base of the brain where they are deciding whether it's safe or not. So all information first goes through there. Then it travels to a relational center because we're social beings and very concerned with belonging that's wired into our brains. And then lastly, it gets to the cortex where all this learning is going on. Um, so we want, we want teachers to be in this still point of grace, meaning they're well taken care of, they're well regulated, so they can co-regulate with their students, meaning they convey a sense of calm, they convey a sense of respect and safety. Um, so that they can help children get through that regulation center, up through the relationship centers, and into that cortical learning. Um, so when a student is dysregulated, and this is what the new science is showing as well, that when you see behavior problems, whether they're dysregulated behavior like hyperactivity, or a child is really shut down, What's behind that is a chronically activated stress response. 
So rather than come at them from this cortical control level, you know, we're talking about using connection to help them regulate their stress response system so that a teacher can get them to access this portal into their um, frontal cortex, into their higher cortical learning. So it's very interesting. Um, and now let's pause for a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, Sister and Karen will give us a little preview of Raised in Grace, Made for Wholeness, Sister's keynote at NCEA 2023. Today's podcast is brought to you by Catholic Faith Technologies. Elevate your online learning experience with Catholic Faith Technologies' cutting-edge formation platform. Our engaging and interactive courses and assessments create data-rich insights for organizational leaders so they can make informed decisions about their classrooms, schools, parishes, and dioceses. Learn more about measuring what matters at catholicfaithtech.com. Welcome back. We're here with Karen and sister, and we're just about to discuss Raised in Grace, Made for Wholeness. Now, I know you're not going to give us your whole keynote, but... How about a little teaser, sister? Well, we've been dropping little hints as we've yes. been talking here. <laughs> yes. um, and yeah. hopefully it's kind of getting you intrigued, you know, to come to, to the sessions where we'll be talking. And most importantly, to, to stick around for that third day, right? Um, and that I think what we, uh, the little teaser, again, would be this understanding of what we mean by this, the still point of grace, which, which really... Uh, draws on um, the virtuous life, understanding that, and, and pulling together um, what we understand, what we're going to hear actually in the, in, the other, in the two days that lead up into that, um, bringing all of this together and kind of folding it in to our, what we do in Catholic education about what our mission that we're about, you know, with Christ is the master. He's the, the center of our schools. He's the the one, um, you know, that has sent us forth on this mission, right, to raise up and educate these young people, to bring that together and just to inspire us to kind of go back and be committed to what we're doing, to um, have an understanding. I think what's really important is for us to have an intellectual understanding of what the science is revealing to us, this neuroscience and understanding what's going on in the the minds um, and actually also in the hearts of these young people, you know, so that we can help them um, to help m minimize that stress that they may be experiencing to give um, help give the parents the tools that they need to help their children. There's a lot that I've learned in my study of this. And I'm thinking, gosh, if I, when, when I was a principal, if I was using mm -hmm. these same things, um, you know, there's a lot of things that I could have maybe handled differently, but to bring all of that together and um, kind of give everyone this, this new uh, renewal of going back ready um, in the classroom to be refreshed, because uh, it has been a difficult, you know, two, two to three years in, in schools, you know, and uh, Catholic education has just been on the forefront of that. And, and we can also be on the forefront of what we're understanding about this, this new kind of new uh, neuroscience that has, that has come our way. Absolutely. So you mentioned it a little bit, but your work connects you with leaders from across the country. What are they asking for right now? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, a lot of them are trying to understand uh, that this connection between SEL and virtue and and to be reassured. It's actually a great question that they're asking because the leaders 
are committed and they're looking for, they want to provide that authentic Catholic environment for those students. And because there's been a lot of people that have used SEL and used that understanding of neuroplasticity for um, wrong, which has led to greater uh, fragmentation in the students, um, they, they're asking questions. They're asking really good questions. And I assure them that virtue, if they, virtue needs to be a part of that and, and to make sure that we're marrying this in the proper way. And the other thing too um, is the concern, uh, the stress, the stress sensitivity, all the pressures that administrators and parents are experiencing. Okay. I've been asked by a couple of superintendents to offer retreats to their principals and the theme on, on both of those in totally different parts of the country is help my principals with their stress and understanding how they can harness this understanding of virtue mm -hmm. and this life to help them in their day-to-day -day activities as they're trying to be the leaders in the school community. So I, that's why part, part of the reason why I've been studying all this and praying about it so well. That's really what I'm, I'm sensing. Yes. Yeah, and, and what I would add, Sister, is that it is really critical for us to understand specifically what is meant by social-emotional learning and really roll up our sleeves and get into that because, like any new science, it can be misinterpreted and misused. And when we're talking about the still point of grace in the turning world and, you know, how our Catholic faith has this uh, virtue history that's so consistent with social-emotional learning, it's a way to put it in that container and to bound it, right, to find the edges and the boundaries so that the social-emotional learning, which is really important, um, but it needs to be bounded within this context of um, living in the grace that Christ extends to all children at baptism. So, that's a really important idea, and I'm glad that the conference is, is kind of focusing on that so everybody goes away with a clear understanding. Absolutely. Um, when it comes to virtue and SELs, um, you've already mentioned we need to take care of our teachers. You know, Sister, you mentioned going back and really taking care of our teachers. How can administrators show up and care for their staff? What do they need to do? That, oh, that's a great, that's a really great question. And that was a question that I would ask myself all the time as an administrator. And this, um, I think as we look at, you know, the power, we want to encourage this power of showing up, but I know myself as the administrator, I had this responsibility to show up for my teachers and to be there for them. And that is really getting to know them, knowing, um, understanding their pressure points, understanding and being able to read and their body language, their stress. I mean, I can think of one, uh, one teacher that I had who, who was always, she's a junior high teacher. She's like your dream junior high teacher, always co-regulated, just always just calm. And um, I can remember one day when she actually called my office and said, I need to send the student down to see you. Otherwise, it's not going to be really pretty down here. So if she <laughs> called me, right, okay, you knew. <laughs> I knew that I needed to take this lovely child to come down to me. And we spent some time to get to know each other really well. And it kept enabled her because she knew. So she had that, that self-knowledge to know that if she was going to maintain and be able to continue with her lesson, 
that that was something that needed to be there. So she, thankfully, I had a relationship with her. And hopefully, I mean, I knew I had it with all my teachers that they knew that they could make that call, that no matter what I was doing, um, I would be there to help them and to support them in whatever it is. So, and it's just finding those things, thinking of times when, when they need that break. I mean, mm -hmm. I'll tell a personal story on myself. When I, I'm not wired to be a first grade teacher. So I was sent to teach first grade in the middle of the school year. This was years ago. Gosh, I don't know how many years, over 22 years ago. And uh, in the middle of the day, the, the sister that was the principal, she would bring me a bowl of ice cream because she knew I needed something <laughs> <laughs> to get through the high energy of the students in the classroom. And she knew that this wasn't really my my strength, right. you know, that I needed to be more with the junior high kids or the middle school students. Um, so again, that she knew she was attuned enough to me to know that that was something I needed. So that's those are the little things that uh, that can do that just that means so much. That it's mm -hmm. it sounds like a big word, you know, safe, seeing, soothe, and secure. And you think, how am I going to do that? But it's things that you just really um, do naturally when you're a, you have that relationship uh, with people. Absolutely, I can remember as an administrator sitting and looking at my staff and totally wadding up my agenda and throwing it away. Just knowing they're not they're not for this today. This is not going to work today. They look full, they look tired. We need to go get coffee. You know, yes. so those sorts of things. So just knowing those things and 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 if you don't know your staff, you don't recognize those those points where they're saying, "Hey, I need to tap out right now." Otherwise, I will not make good decisions. And that parents do, you know, moms and dads, you know what? They're yours right now. I'm going shopping, you know, those sorts of things that can really help benefit our in community, being there, showing up for each other. So yes. our administrators need to recognize those things. They need to care for each other. And, and you're right. It, it can be simple. We don't need to make it Mm -hmm. difficult. Right. Okay. Yeah. The same thing we're asking teachers to give students in this spirit of co-regulation and information processing is the same thing that they need. You know, they need respect and safety in their organizations and in their environments. And then they'll be able to do this um, social emotional learning in the classroom. But when they have so many standards to meet, when they have all this paperwork to fill out, you know, they think like it's one more thing and I'm already stretched so thin. But what we know is that these really powerful moments of connection and regulation can occur in just milliseconds. It's as simple as using a student's name or looking at them in the eye and asking them how they're doing today. Um, and then there are all these other strategies that come with social emotional learning, but that has to be the backdrop. So if you're listening out there, you have what it takes. You're, you have everything it takes. We just need to be intentional and have a yeah. good foundational understanding. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Um, when you pray for Catholic schools, what do you pray for? Oh, goodness. Um, a lot. Um, I love Catholic <laughs> education, you know. Um, I pray that, you know, that, again, that it's just um, that 
that there's a renewal, you know, and I think, and I think everyone has that a desire. I mean, you know, I honestly, you know, the history of Catholic education in the United States, you know, began with the religious communities that were there. And then we know all that's happened in the past 50 years, but it's really just the wonderful lay people that have come forth that are, are bringing their gifts and their talents um, oftentimes, you know, a great sacrifice. I mean, you know, they could be they could be paid double if they were in a public school or whatever, but they're coming because they want to be a part of this mission. So my my prayer really is just always for the Catholic educators to feel uh, renewed, to be committed to that. Really, just a, a profound sense of gratitude for what they're doing in Catholic education, and and um, even though I may not know everybody. I, I pray in particular for the schools that use education and virtue because that's part of what what the sisters commit to. We, we commit to intercede for all the schools, but also all Catholic schools. It's just that they can be um, this place of grace, this place um, where young people can grow up and really understand their true identity as a son or daughter of the Father, that they can recognize um, what they have the ability to contribute to the wider culture and community, and that ultimately um, that they will stay close to the person of Jesus Christ, who's the way, the truth, and the way, um, you know, the way, the truth, and the light that they need, um, that they won't, that they'll hold on to their Catholic faith and that they won't abandon it, you know, they would continue to raise themselves in grace. Did you know I was going to say all that? So sorry, but you, 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 that was like a loaded question for me. I don't think we could have said it any better. <laughs> and that Catholic schools continue to be the safe haven for children who are yes. growing up in an increasingly overstimulating, fragmented, you know, confusing world that they become, you know, this place where they can grow up in safety and security. Fabulous addition. Yes. Um, resource that no teacher or administrator should live without? Well, uh, well, you may get the same answer from both of us. I mean, we, can, we can talk about resources, but we're both, the more we talk about this and discuss, we keep talking about the still point of grace that we hope we can help people to understand that, uh, that they, because I think is what is kind of what the key to what an administrator can bring, what a teacher can bring, that they have this um, well, this self-awareness of you know the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're temples of the Holy Spirit, and um, that puts us in God's grace. That we can have ourselves centered in that, so that we can bring you know that that co-regulation that's so necessary to the classroom, to the school community, and everyone else. That you know we're, that we're true, which is another way of saying we're disciples. You know, true disciples of Christ. You know. But I don't know. That may not be what you're looking for. You maybe want practical things, but I, you know, Karen may want to add, but she may have thought of something else. Well, um, the thing I would add is that every administrator and every teacher needs a map. Um, every parent needs a map. And there's so much uh, guidance in marrying virtue to this interpersonal neurobiology. One of the things Sister and I developed that... Um, I think is really helpful is this developmental timeline where we lay out what are the developmental tasks going on at any time in a child's life and how do virtue and neuro interpersonal neurobiology inform those. So I think we all need a map and like we can't that. live without that. 
Well, um, I want to thank both of you very much. This has been such a moment of grace for me today, and I know for our listeners. Thank you. Thank you, you. Laura. Thank you to our NCEA podcast listeners. How can we be better equipped to face the demands of our school day and raise our students in grace? Well, come see Sister John Dominic and Dr. Karen Villa and the rest of us at NCEA. We may have a map for you. Um, Come see us in Dallas. Go to ncea.org and register for NCEA 2023 because the, the most valuable resource we have is each other. Do you or something you know have something worth sharing? Let us know. We could be visiting your diocese and introducing you as our next podcast guest. Thank you.